Welcome to Sleep Talk, the podcast about all things sleep, brought to you by sleephub.com.au. Here are your hosts, Dr. David Cunnington and Dr. Moira Junger. So welcome to episode 58 of Sleep Talk, the podcast talking all things sleep, and welcome again, Moira. Hi, Dave. Hi, everyone. For this episode, we've got uh, Associate Professor Sean Kane joining us, and thanks very much. Great to have you on again, Sean. Yeah, thanks to both of you for having me back. Welcome back. You're the star performer. Third time, I, I think, on the show in <laughs> five years. I think that's the record. Great. Always happy to come back for a six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was looking back, Sean, you were last on in sort of late uh, December 2018, so it's a good two years, and you've certainly been doing some great work. So we're looking forward to teasing you out about some of that work. So the theme for this month's episode is light. And so there's lots of talk about light and its impact on sleep and then a broader impact again on health. We hear it in the media. We see it in the way technology is being developed and technology companies have changed their operating systems to help us manage light. So we're going to try and nut out what what's the real story. Is it that big a deal? How does it work? What type of things we should do? And Sean, we're going to get you to give us all the answers. I'll, I'll see if I've got uh, got all the answers to give you. And Moya, is it something that you see with people in your practice that they're asking about light or conscious about light? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously for the last 20 years I've been talking to them about the importance of the light-dark cycle in terms of how much it influences their sleep alongside their many other things like their racing mind and other, other habits. Um, but it's probably more recent years that they're, they're the ones often bringing it up to me and asking lots of questions. And, in fact, I, you remember I see a bit of a subgroup of people often, not always, often very, very anxious about their sleep. And so the messages around light have only, unfortunately, gone to make them more and more anxious about being a, bit, a little bit too rigid, a bit too ritualised, a bit too panicked about that light. So it's really important to have these uh, more nuanced discussions around how there's such a big uh, individual difference in sensitivity and in what light is around in their houses anyway. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. All right, Sean. So what's the truth about light? Is it as important as what we hear about in the media? I, I believe it is, but some of the things you you hear maybe are, are a little uh, untrue and, and, and some of them are true. Some of them are a little are close. You know, there, there are nuances uh, that I think aren't always out there in the messaging. So, you know, some of the things that probably aren't a big deal, um, you know, are the kind of uh, light you get from screens, but during the day. Our clocks, our internal clocks, they, they really want bright light in the day and dim light or darkness at night. And it, it, the system craves that and we should be giving it to our clock. So really, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend wearing blue blocking glasses in the day when we want to we want to get lots of light, uh, and so I you know I think some of the messaging around blue light always being bad is is not helpful. Um, so the reason why people think blue light might be bad is that the the photoreceptors these are ancient photoreceptors that evolved before uh, visual photoreceptors in the eye. Their their job is to detect basically you know, is it day or night and send that signal to, to your brain. Those particular photoreceptors are very sensitive to blue light, so it doesn't take much. But you want lots of blue light in the day, and that's great. So why wear you know, any kind of lens that blocks any blue in the day? It's, it's not a problem. But at night, yes, you want to avoid it. So you want, you want strong signals for darkness at night, so you do want to avoid it. So it's, it's this, this message that you know, blue light's always bad. It's not, that's not the case. And 
the amount of blue light that it takes to damage your eye is, is way more than we'd ever get from any of these you know, devices, handheld devices or, or screens. So yeah, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's a bit messy, but I, I do feel in general that a lot of people are, are getting uh, some of the important messages. It's interesting. There's a paper this week I saw actually um, looking at the effect of the blue light blocking glasses on you know, eye strain from screens, showing they had no effect. And so really, you know, whilst it's been a $50 add-on, you know, extra revenue for spectacle sort of salespeople, it's not for eye strain. And, you know, according to you, definitely not during the day to protect ourselves from sort of blue light. And in fact, the opposite. We don't want to be protecting ourselves from blue light during the day. Yeah. If anything, we, we just don't get enough light in the day. So I'm, I'm often going on about avoiding light at night, um, but, I, you know, we, the other side of it is you know, people have to get some strong light signals in the day. We're living in this uh, too dim in the day, too light at night kind of world and, and because we spend most of our time indoors and that both of those things are, are not great. And we've all certainly experienced that in the last 12 months with being more confined indoors than what we, we usually would. And, you know, that work um, from uh, Ken Wright, where he took the teenagers out into the woods and, you know, they lived in the woods for a week or so and entrained their rhythms and really very quickly settled into that light-dark cycle according to sun time, really does reinforce how we're just, you know, primitive biological beings that do respond to the natural world around us as long as we get exposed to it and don't distort it. Absolutely. That's that's now a classic paper, you know, that they showed what uh, the, the rhythms of, of these people uh, were under kind of our, our artificial lighting conditions and uh, and people were very highly variable in the timing of their uh, melatonin rhythms and sleep. You bring them out into uh, into the woods, uh, go camping for a bit, and suddenly there's very little uh, difference in the time people were sleeping, but also their their circadian time, so their melatonin rhythms lined up perfectly with nighttime. So their melatonin onset occurred at dusk, where it's supposed to, and the offset is around dawn. It was. Uh, it, it just lined people's bodies up the way they evolved. So it's uh, if the more we approach uh, a natural light environment, uh, I think in general the the, the better we're going to sleep, the better we're going to feel, the more productive the next day. Um, you know, let's maybe try to get back to the 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 way our bodies evolved to be. Here, here. I think that's um, it's a, one of the most important things. Um, I think with with sleep in general that. that just how we evolve, what's natural, obviously the light, obviously moving your body, the kind of food you put into your body, the kind of stress levels is, is what's reasonable and how much work. To, it, it's, it's the sort of the bottom line really, isn't it? Like let's yeah. get back to base, get back to base. It just doesn't seem to go well for us when we fight against our natures. So, yeah. <laughs> well, there's so many other pressures at, at play out there. I mean, that, we can't all go out camping in the woods for a week. I don't really like camping at all, but, uh, you know, there are, there are other ways to get good light cycles. <laughs> so, Sean, are there particular groups of people who are more vulnerable to the negative effects of light? Yeah, it's, we're just really beginning to, to understand that. But, but it's likely that there are, are some people who are very insensitive to light and, and some people who are very sensitive to light, and that can have um, negative consequences on mood. So, you know, we've we've studied people with major depressive disorder and found actually that they had uh, quite low sensitivity to light. 
Uh, and it's they they didn't line up their bodies to the light dark cycle um, uh, in in a healthy way. They're quite quite advanced. Uh, but we think more than the the effect of low light sensitivity on the internal clock, it's it's probably having a really important effect on other areas of the brain. So we know now that your ears serve dual functions of hearing, which is obvious, but also balance. You know, the the eye serves dual functions of vision, which is the obvious conscious one, uh, and all of these other really ancient functions. And one of them is to tell the clock what time of day it is. But there are other direct connections to areas of the brain involved in emotional regulation and how you process um, the the feeling of loss and fear. Uh, We have a paper that's uh, under review now showing that light switches off or at least reduces the activation of the amygdala, an area of the brain involved in producing fear. Not only that, but it enhances the, um, the functional connectedness of the prefrontal cortex and amygdala. So light also enhances your ability to control your emotions. So we think that when in, in depression, maybe it's uh, part of the problem of low sensitivity is um, you know, misalignment of the clock. I think more immediately, it's probably impacting mood directly. Uh, you know, these are these ancient, non-conscious, non-visual functions of um, uh, circadian photoreception that uh, you know, they, they existed before vision even. You know, this is old lizard brain stuff. But that's, that's on, the, on the end. Uh, with, with major depression, uh, there's low sensitivity, but we're finding, and, and others are, are finding as well, that uh, bipolar disorder uh, is associated with a, a heightened light sensitivity. And that, that might sound good, but you know, if we live in very irregular um, light cycles, and so it, it could cause what was, would feel like a perpetual jet lag in someone, because even little amounts of light can have such a big effect and shift your clock backwards and forwards all the time. It could be quite disruptive and impact your mood. And those are two examples, but I'm sure that we'll find as time goes on that uh, that there are all sorts of examples of maybe uh, not just sensitive insensitive, but people who have a highly variable sensitivity and anything else that I, I can't imagine at the moment. And how are you going about measuring that sensitivity or identifying people you think are sort of more vulnerable or less vulnerable? Well, we're we're pretty excited about um, some fairly new measures of of the pupils. So. Uh, the, the circadian photoreceptor that's very sensitive to blue light is called melanopsin, and it is a very weird photoreceptor. So uh, the, the visual photoreceptors, the rods and cones everyone knows about, you know, they, they can turn on and off really quickly in a millisecond um, scale. And if, it, if they didn't, you wouldn't, have, uh, you wouldn't be able to look around your environment and, and kind of see detail. It would all be smudged. But uh, the circadian photoreceptor melanopsin... Uh, it it evolved to detect something in very very long uh, timescales, like whole days, and so it's once it's turned on, it doesn't have to turn off because it's trying to monitor a day. One of the ways that we can use that to our benefit is is to test the pupil response to light. So we know it's sensitive to blue light. Blue light will um, you know, your your eye will um, uh, your your pupil will will constrict under the blue light. Uh, and when you turn off the light, 
the, that pupil doesn't redilate after blue light because once that melanopsin has been activated, it's still sending a signal to your brain that you're looking at light. Um, and that this, we now know this is, um, this is likely to be part of the reason why some people have um, less deep sleep in the early night than, than they could have. So you might fall asleep after you've been in your blue lights in your environment, uh, all those LEDs in, in, in people's um, ceilings. You might fall asleep after that, but the depth of that sleep, the amount of slow wave sleep can be quite less. So we're probably all living a little less, um, you know, a, a little less rested than we could just because of the light and just because of this prolonged effect of melanopsin. But not to get off, you know, off on that too much. But yeah, we're using uh, the pupillary response to to blue light to measure someone's sensitivity. But it probably goes way deeper than that, that we think there are multiple levels at which light sensitivity can be changed. We think some of them are trait sensitivities. Um, so not something that's ever going to change in your lifetime, but some of them we think are actually state sensitivities. So changing, changing your mood state could also directly change um, how, how you respond to light. So when am I, when am I going to get a tool in the clinic? When am I going to be able to look at the patient in front of me, like the one I saw yesterday who's had major depression, not responding to TMS, and say, right, let's work out your light sensitivity and how to modulate it? I failed to get a grant to, uh, to make that clinical tool, but I'm going to keep trying. Uh, but I do, have, I, I do have one in mind. So you know, we, we really want a suite of circadian clinical tools to, to be created. So um, hopefully soon uh, we'll, we'll get some money to, to build that very device. So you talked a bit about home lighting, and that's what I want to move on to because that's one of your other recent papers. We just recently replaced the LEDs at home and we had the electrician come around to must say electrician in his 60s and he goes oh look I'll put these energy efficient LEDs in and replace them all with very bright LEDs bedrooms living rooms everything U-Butte energy efficient LEDs with absolutely no thought whatsoever about the wavelength of light the consequences for sleep health you know we've now got four very bright LEDs that I go to sleep to with them on every night at around 10 p.m. So, yeah, I'm worried about my slow-wave sleep now in the first part first part of the night. How do we shift some of that? Is it really that important? And how do we start to get that sort of that broader cultural shift, get it out of the, you know, we're in the lab and managing people with sleep disorders and we think about it to the, yeah, the 60-year-old electrician who's coming around giving people advice about lights? Yeah, it's we just have to keep talking about this. And, you know, I, I, I certainly don't want to be uh, alarmist, but also people aren't generally uh, treating light with the respect uh, that it deserves. You know, we, we're just not used to thinking that that light is important. You know, we just, we buy these bulbs. We don't think about the bulbs. Um, you know, we, uh, when, when we want to get, get light bulbs, they're, they're a few bucks and you buy them at the supermarket in the same aisle as your toilet paper. So it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a very important thing. But we just have to keep kind of getting the message out there. And, and I do think that there, there are more people who appreciate it. So if I think back to 10 years ago, and I was also do, doing and talking about you know, similar things back then, it was uh, very obscure. But, but now most people uh, know a little bit about it. And, and in the lighting industry, um, you know, they've really been accepting, accepting it. 
so most people who, who are working in, in the lighting industry, like making lights, are, are well aware of this stuff. And they, they know that you should go for more warm lights and not, uh, you know, not more white and cool, um, you know, blue enriched lights. So it, more and more people are getting it, but I, I think we just have to keep saying it over and over and over again until it's in the in the public consciousness. Is that true for that? Um, just that education for, I mean, the general population, the, the healthcare settings, hospitals, residential facilities, workplaces. Do you think it is? It's just education, and just keep talking about it, or. I, th I think so. I mean, I, I think it's been, it has been working. Every year I ask my students, uh, you know, have they heard of circadian rhythms? And, and you know, every year it's more and more people. And you know, have you heard about the importance of, you know, light and light quality? And it, it's always more and more and more. So it's, it's, I think it is a matter of time before virtually everyone knows it. But, you know, we're up against this attitude that that light is just something you, you push a button on a wall and it goes on you know it's it's at our beck and call it's it's it can't really be important and uh so it's it'll be a bit of an uphill battle but uh i do feel that that people are, are listening and as far as hospitals go um because the the lighting industry is is interested in kind of doing evidence-based things as as things have become more and more solid as far as the evidence base for the, the very high importance of, of light, um, they've been adopting it more. So I, I actually um, wrote an editorial in uh, Sleep, the journal Sleep, which will be out next month. Uh, and it was about a, a paper where this new um, psychiatric hospital put in all circadian informed lighting. Uh, and it was just a, it was a beautiful study showing you know, real important effects uh, within a hospital setting and, and freely moving people. So uh, you might want to check out the March issue of Sleep uh, and read the editorial and, and that uh, very nice paper. Yeah, that sounds great. And in your paper, you talked about uh, a device that you use to actually measure ambient light that people were exposed to. If that was more broadly available, that may help with the education piece because people then become aware of the nature of light that they're exposed to. Yeah, I was really hoping, you know, it, this has been a project we, we started seven years ago, making the, the idea of making these devices. And we finally just got our first paper with our, our device out on uh, in early November of, of last year. The device, it, it measures all wavelengths of light and it models the, the impact of light on your circadian system and all these, this non-visual uh, effect of light. We really made it in the first place to be able to feed back information to people. You know, I, I call it, it's almost, I call it a melanopic eye, which only I find clever, um, but it's kind of a, a, a third eye. You know, this system is part of, it's partly defined by its non-visual, non-conscious nature. And so you kind of need a device to be like a third eye and to, to tell you what's going on with this, this type of light. And so what I wanted to do is make the, the non-conscious conscious through technology. So we, we pick it up with the device and, and it feeds that information to an app. And then the app you know, tells you, you need to get more bright light in, in the day and at this time. And that light that you've got in your environment, that's, that's way too blue enriched. So, you know, get rid of that and, you know, get a new one. Um, and people, having people interact with it and, and choosing a healthy light environment, I think, you know, that 
that would be fantastic. And that would come from that device. If people can be in a, a nice and, and healthy light environment just for a week, they'll really notice uh, impacts on their sleep and, and impacts uh, on their mood. Uh, it, it doesn't, you don't need to do it right for too long to, to see an effect. So I, I just try to talk people into doing it for a week. And in Ken, Ken Wright's camping paper, that's, that's all they did. And it just set everything right. So you talk to us about the hospital. I'll certainly look out for that paper because that hopefully will set a benchmark, if you like, for particularly in psychiatry. What about in other settings? So what about home setting, just general population? So, you know, what should they do about their home lighting? I also have bright overhead lights and I, I never use them. So I've got, I've got some lamps around the house and I've, I've bought some, uh, some smart lights at, at Bunnings. And, and I set them up to be uh, as, as bright and white and blue as possible every day and starting at the same time. Uh, and very, very dim, warm. It's basically as, as dim as I can have it so that I could, I could still have some useful light and very warm. And I just said it, uh, you know, these, a lot of these bulbs are, are Wi-Fi enabled. So they, they set up uh, in your, your home Wi-Fi environment and uh, they're app coupled. You set it all up on the app and you set it and forget it. You know, it, you're kind of back to nature in a way without having to camp, um, which I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the whole insect thing in, in camping or being like uncomfortable and not in my bed. Uh, so, but you, you can get those camping benefits on your clock by setting your home lights. Before I got um, smart lights and set them up uh, to be automatic, I had a real problem remembering to, to turn my lights down manually. And I'm obsessed with this as my whole life is, is talking about this and researching it. And I can't remember to do it. So I don't, I don't think anyone should do it. And in a way, if you're if you're setting it up automatically and you're not thinking about it, well, that's how we evolved too. We didn't decide when sunset was going to happen, when sunrise was going to happen. You know, it it was in charge of things, and and we followed. And that's that's the way it should be in our homes too. What should a workplace look like? I think workplaces are are pretty easy because if everyone's working in normal working hours in the day, you actually want it, you know, quite quite bright and, and blue and rich, and, and that's good. Uh, the, the brighter, the better. I mean, you, you have to worry about eye strain, and, and a lot of people really suffer from that more than others. Um, you, you, you want uh, good vision under those conditions. So uh, you know, some lights are better than others. So some will have a really good color rendering index and some of them not. But if you can see well under the light and you can get it as, as, as bright as, as possible and is still comfortable, that's, that's all you really need to do. Now, it's another story when we're talking about night work or uh, shift work, and, and then you know the bright, the bright uh, white, blue, and rich light at night. Um, you know, it's it's going to mess with your rhythms, but at the same time, you can't be up working under dim light and uh, and and not being alert. So, you know, you're 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 going to have to choose one bad thing or or the other, which is uh, you're going to be alert and safe, or uh, you're you're not going to affect rhythms. Sean, where can people get more information? We're always doing uh, doing research, and you know, one one of the our big projects that we've got going is um, NHMRC funded uh, project on um, how this kind of light sensitivity is, is a part of uh, treatment of depression, and how antidepressant medications really seem to target this system. 
Um, but you know, we're we're always looking for philanthropic donations. If if anyone else, <laughs> anyone out there uh, wants to support uh, our, our work, especially our work on depression, so we we feel even though even though we have uh, funding, there's there's so much more to do, um, and uh, you know, we, we want to create better treatments for people that are, are circadian informed. Uh, anyone can get in contact with me um, through my email. So sean.kane at monash.edu. Uh, and if someone wanted to give a, a philanthropic donation, they could. Uh, I can direct them to how to do that. There's also some resources that people can access. There's a website that's run by a group called the Centre for Environmental Therapeutics. It's actually got some really nice resources about you know, as a broader term, if you think of light as an environmental therapeutic, that's a that's sort of one way of thinking about it. And the previous podcast episodes that Sean's joined us for, one was talking about rhythm and mood, that was episode 33, and one was um, screens and the effect of light in adolescent sleep, and that was episode nine. I'd just like to add another website there for resources, Dave. It's just the, it's the workalert.org.au. It's got a number of um, handy hints and information for both from the employer and the employee perspective. John, so what's a clinical tip or a tip for people based on you know what you've talked to us about? No one's going to be harmed by uh, being being very deliberate about their light dark cycles and to 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 go for uh, the goal of bright days and dark nights. It means getting outside the house a little more deliberately during the day. Uh, and we know that Going outside and, and getting light in the day actually boosts the uh, your rhythms, the strength of your rhythms. It it helps your core clock in the brain pull together all the hundreds, if not thousands, of rhythms in in your body. So bright light in the day is important. Uh, we're usually talking about avoiding uh, light at night, but really light light in the day, getting lots of bright light is strengthening for your rhythms. Uh, the other half of that is avoiding too bright a light at night. Now, we're all um, pretty sensitive to, to light at night, some more so than others. And right now, there's no easy way for an individual to, to know for sure if that non-visual system is, is sensitive or not, because it's not a visual system. So you, you might be sensitive to the visual effects of light, but that doesn't mean that this, this other system is, uh, you know, is, is sensitive or insensitive. They're, as far as we know, they're not related. So everyone could, could do well to, to avoid uh, too bright a light at night. Uh, and to set up their their light on a timer so that they don't have to think about it. Going back to, to nature while comfortably inside your home. So pick of the month time, what's yours, Dave? It's another book. You know how I love my books. Well, this book got released uh, in January of this year, and it's called When Brains Dream, Exploring the Science and Mystery of Sleep. And it's written by Antonio Zadra, who's a professor in the Department of Psychology at University of Montreal, and uh, Professor Robert Stickgold uh, from um, the Psychiatry Department at Harvard Medical School. And it's great. I really like it. My, mind you, I'm a bit biased. Anything Robert Stickgold sort of writes, I'm, I'm a big fan of, because that was one of my the guilty pleasures of being in Boston, was being able to go to lab meetings where Robert Stickgold would talk or small groups and just you know be able to pick his brain and listen to how he thought about things. Just a, a wealth of experience and a lot of perspective so it's a really really nice book sounds great because i'm a fan of um antonio zadra too from um, imagery rehearsal therapy that's mm -hmm. he's he's written so widely on that so um thanks for the tip no worries i've started reading that book actually oh well so. there you go <laughs> what about what about you maura 
Well, I would like to a paper that just very recently, February 2021, um, in, in, in sleep medicine. It was by a, a group um, from RMIT as well as um, China. A lot of them have affiliations in both. I don't know if a Yi Zhao, um, he or she was the first author, looking at it was a systematic review and meta-analysis of looking at the uh, effects of acupuncture on insomnia. And um, obviously it's a, they looked at the 11 studies only met the criteria. There's pretty, pretty poor quality um, methodology, et cetera, and low evidence, but emerging, you know, enough evidence to see that even you know, a subjective and objective improvements within sleep with acupuncture. And the only reason I, I sort of bring it up as it, it took, took my eye is that we just need to do more and more. It's good to see some studies like that because a lot of things that are sort of so-called complementary, they're, they they're not in the evidence base yet, but we just need people to do randomised control trials and get them into the evidence base and we can know for sure. Because even in my day back in the 1990s, we could, I couldn't put meditation and yoga into my work because it wasn't in the evidence base. It wouldn't be an ethical thing for me to do in my practice. But we now know because people have done appropriate trials, they're well and truly in the evidence base. So that's, that's just my pick of the month. I'll put it in the show notes. What about you, Sean? Uh, well, my pick is actually uh, a review article uh, that was uh, out last month in, uh, in February 2021 uh, in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine. It's on circadian mechanisms in medicine. So this, to me, is a, a bit of a landmark piece. Now, this, this is the journal that uh, any, any physicians would, would read. Um, it's, it's the top in, in medical journals. And so it's great to see you know, such a, a comprehensive review of, of why circadian rhythms are important. One of the reasons why this is such a, a, an important paper is that there, there is possibly no training in circadian rhythms when, when, when people are trained to be physicians or almost nothing. Uh, but it is fundamental. We're realizing over the past 20 years, we're, we're realizing that all aspects of health are impacted by circadian rhythms. We know now there's not just this one master clock in, in the brain. There are dozens of clocks in the brains and trillions of clocks throughout your body. And your whole body is made to do certain things at certain times of day. Um, and now it, it's being appreciated more and more that healthy rhythms are fundamental to all aspects of health. And when rhythms are, start to uh, degrade because of a you know, poor light, dark cycles or, or lack of uh, uh, decent exposure to, to bright days and dark nights, that'll start chipping away at your health. This is, this is really important because now, you know, physicians are going to see circadian rhythms and, and not think maybe it's some, uh, some hippie thing, which is what it was like when I started doing this 20 years ago. It's like circadian rhythms. Yeah, it's nothing I'm interested in. But between this and the 2017 Nobel Prize in Medicine or Physiology going to circadian rhythms researchers, you know, now we are finally getting you know, fully legitimized and, and more people are, are realizing just how important circadian rhythms are for health. So look out in coming episodes for a couple of different topics. So one's lucid dreaming. I had a hot tip from Karen Hitchcock that TikTok goes off with things on lucid dreaming. So I reckon we'll try and get what actually is the evidence around that. Can we get people to lucid dream a bit better? What are the potential uses for that? So that's something I'm working on. 
The other thing I'm working on is this concept of some of the, you'll like this more, some of the economic determinants around sleep and, you know, this concept of sleep as a luxury item. You know, if you're comfortable enough in your life, then you it's the luxury that you can afford to have. But if you're not comfortable, then maybe sleep uh, is more challenging. Well, that's the truth, really. It is a luxury item. And if you don't have to do two jobs, et cetera, et cetera, you probably are going to be able to get more control over how much sleep you get, at least opportunity for sleep. So thanks very much, Sean, for your help with this episode. And we're really privileged to have you as a resource we can draw on. I love doing it and I'll come back anytime you want. Thanks, Sean. It's always great to have you. So thanks a lot for listening. Send us any suggestions for other episodes or people you'd like us to interview at podcast at sleephub.com.au and review us on iTunes, tell your friends and subscribe. Thanks a lot. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for your own independent health professional's advice, diagnosis or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider within your country or place of residency with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.